scoopers are sitting out there. I drive that every day. Oh, you do? I did. Well, you know, Scott got 60 extra ones, so let's blame Scott. Yeah. <laughs> 100. Oh, we got 100 And they're now? also on Carter's Creek. Oh, I'm too. so glad to see them on Carter's Creek. It's, it's I would funny. stop and bake them a cake if I had time. Good. Well, folks, I'm going to introduce the players. I'm Jim Ross. We've got Terry Wilcox on the board. Hey. Coach. James Dickinson. Good morning. Representative Scott Sapicki in the, in the proper sweatshirt this morning. Good morning, everybody. Celebrating the University of Tennessee basketball team's victory over the number one team in the nation. Sheila Hickman Good and morning. Sarah Elizabeth. Good morning. You know, okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure, you know, you're going to stay with us or not. You may roll right on out the door. No, I was trying to shut the door. <laughs> Trying to shut it, huh? Uh, Mission accomplished. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right, folks. We're still. We are in the middle of college basketball. Tennessee, after having two gut wrenching losses in a row, you know, it's one thing to lose twice on buzzer beaters, but to lose by three point buzzer beaters is there's just something wrong about that. You know, lost to Vanderbilt, and Missouri, both. Missouri's was a heave. And then they come back and they play Alabama. Alabama's a great basketball team. Will be a number one seed, by the way, Coach, which is all that really matters. And uh, yeah, I, I think I bet you they will, Scott. <clears throat> yeah, Scott, we'll will. see. We'll see how they do. They will. And Tennessee caught Alabama's perfect time. Alabama played a monstrous physical game down in Auburn that Saturday. Before. They did. Oh yeah, and Alabama come out and won that game. And uh, Alabama was just beat up and wore out and. Uh, Auburn, I mean, Tennessee had a couple of starters out, too, but it was a good game. I mean, it was a fun game to watch. It was a fun game to watch. It was, it was a good game. It was, defense know, was tremendously on both sides. Well, it was scouted really well because what Barnes did is that he focused on Alabama's guards. Yeah. Now, that being said, there was an Alabama shooting guard, or that he's a small forward named Miller, that absolutely wore Tennessee out from the three-point line. He, had, he ended up with 15 points. Yeah, but I mean, he hit. I think they were, they may have been all three pointers because he he was killing it. But other than that, um, it's it's just kind of hard for me to believe that the SEC only has two teams in the top twenty-five. But what I think is kind of uh, unusual, and this gets back to when Scott used to love to see the the Chanticleers uh, make the football <laughs> poll. We got lots of little smaller mm-hmm. schools that have made the top 25 and those that we don't see normally in the top 25 from, from other conferences. But you got FAU, Florida Atlantic University is in there. Providence. Now, Providence traditionally has been a pretty good basketball school, but that was like 20, 25 years ago. In the 80s. You know, uh, mm-hmm. TCU, San Diego State. Now, who would have thought San Diego State would be in the top 25? Uh, Creighton, but Creighton occasionally comes up with a good one. St. Mary's, I don't know the last time I can remember St. Mary's being in the top 25. So you've got a lot of small schools. You know, I don't know if you attribute that to uh, scholarship limitations. Scott will say, transfer portal. Scott will say transfer <laughs> portal. <laughs> the portal. Yeah, the people moving around. Uh, but nevertheless, that's kind of pretty much where it all is. Right now. The, the interesting thing about this basketball season is if you look at the records, uh, Alabama at 22-3 and three before the loss to, to Tennessee, but uh, FAU 24-2, and two, uh, 15th ranked team 20-5. and five. There's not a lot of separation there in wins and losses. 
So now, when they do the poll, when they come out in the tournament, I mean, if you're a number one seed, you better be ready to play. And those those uh, those uh, six seven matchups and stuff like that seven eight seven five, uh, six matchups, those are going to be tough ball games for people to play in. Well, and and when you get that seven seed in the second round and playing a number one seed, that's where you can start to see upsets. And I, I'm telling you, this thing is wide open right now. Don't count out Tennessee. You know, they Tennessee's can, got six losses and yet they're ranked. Tenth in the country, mm-hmm. they're nineteen and six, and you've got which Utah. goes goes back to conference. Yeah, well, they got and they got to play Kentucky at Kentucky Saturday. Uh, yeah, Saturday, <laughs> so they may have seven yeah. losses. Well, the, the teams you have to worry about in the tournament are not the ones in the top twenty-five. It's the second twenty-five you got to worry about because yeah. those are the ones because the parity is so equal right now in basketball because of the transfer portal and kids moving around that you can have upsets from that second set of twenty-five that will. Uh, make uh, uh, those top twenty-five coaches cringe, you know. When, when, and it's not really an upset because there's not that big a difference between them, and because they play each other in the SEC, they're playing each other and they're knocking each other off. Yeah, you've got Alabama and Tennessee playing very well, but there's a lot of other teams in the SEC playing well. Texas that, A&M's one game back right yeah. now. Texas, yeah. they don't even rank in top twenty-five. They're they're a good. That's hard team. to believe, isn't it? Yeah, Mississippi State's on the road right now, so you don't catch Mississippi State right well, now. Well, you know who else is starting Georgia. to come on finally. Vanderbilt. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of Missouri can beat anybody in any given night. This that's why <laughs> yeah. that's that's why the NCA tournament is such a favorite of fans. That's why the world kind of stops when the tournament starts. Remember that Thursday and Friday is the most missed work day in, in the country. <laughs> What's that called, Scott? Uh, what is it called? March Madness. March Madness. March yeah. Madness. And we're almost there. We're halfway through the middle. We are. Halfway through February. Mm-hmm. Tournaments are gonna start to happen in all the conferences here very shortly. And then we'll be into the seating, all the brackets, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And football is only two and a half months away. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna be so fun. Mm-hmm. Coach knows it. <laughs> Never stops. Never stops. Well, most of your college, uh, most of your spring football, they're starting to announce their spring football schedule somewhere around mid March to end of March is when they're all starting. Okay. So we're we're about a month away from spring football starting. And yeah, most definitely are. And let me let me give a shout out real quick to you sure. guys. You, you sure. guys know this uh, young man, uh, Hickman's no more. Matthew Markham, mm-hmm. yeah, the legend yes. football player at Central High School. Great quarterback. quarterback, great quarterback. He turned twenty eight years old today. Happy birthday, Matthew. We oh, we love My you goodness. and keep up the good job. And he's a father too now, so he's got a beautiful little baby boy. Where did he play college? University of North Alabama, the Roaring Tigers. Yeah, Lions. I mean, yeah, <laughs> is his. Uh, <clears throat> Uncle and his father worked for us when we ran Oak Park Pool, <clears throat> and we went to church with his mom and daddy and, and with his grandparents. And that, <laughs> that, yeah, I've got a generation removed, but uh, the Markhams are fine people. They are, they are. Well, he had a he had a great head on on his shoulders for quarter for being a quarterback. He did. As a matter of fact, I was his first coach he ever had. He was five years old, and I was his <laughs> head coach, and. Uh, he was a resilient kid at five years old, and of course, I was his coach, one of his coaches at Central High School. And uh, uh, coach, you're you've been everybody's coach in Burke County. That kid there, you could look in his eyes and knew that he had the fire. And so he was a, he was a competitor, great kid. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a great husband, a great father, this this great community guy. Yeah, a great a great Murray County product. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Miss Hickman, uh, his grandparents, uh, his mom and dad, yeah. some of my best friends, and love them to death. Oh, they were faithful supporters of Murray County and especially of Central High School. Mm-hmm. 
You know, and I've forgotten all about Oak Park Pool. Oh, well, yes, that's a whole other story. I'll talk about that sometime. I think there's a, I think there's a history moment it in there. It is. Well, you I know? can tell you, I know. And I think you can do that pool that's all, that used to be out there off Burt Drive, too, there for a while. Yeah. On, in North Columbia. Yeah, we used to sell them chemicals. You know, we were in the pool business at one time. How okay. long did you have the pool business? About 10 years. Oh, 10 years? You didn't know that. I didn't know that. We, we serviced pools. We sold hot tubs. We built pools. And then you were smart enough to get out. Yeah, and then we, <laughs> and on the side, we taught school. We did that. We did that in addition to teaching. Hmm. Scott, we, you look like you had something on your mind. I do. I knew poo. Um, <laughs> so uh, we had that, that helicopter crash from our Tennessee oh, yes. National Guard members. Ooh, yeah. And um, the thing that's very, very sad about it, a year ago, we dedicated a bridge in Murray County for Gene Hargrove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The two pilots that crashed mm-hmm. were the ones that flew the Black Hawk in and landed here in Murray County. Wow. Well, Chief, I'll say. Chief Warrant, Officer, Chief Warrant Officer 3, Daniel Wadham. And Chief Warrant Officer Daniel Danny Root uh, Randolph, um, super good guys. They came in. Uh, it was kind of iffy weather, and they said they were still going to come. They didn't have to, but they were still going to come for that dedication. Yeah, they're trained for it. They are, but it's sometimes they just say, you know what, we're not going to fly in that weather. It was kind of overcast, and they still showed up. <coughs> And they stayed way longer than they had to stay, and they talked to people and engaged people and super good guys. And when we when we heard about this, we reached out to the National Guard and found out it was those two, two gentlemen that we knew and developed a relationship with. Um, they were going to fly us, myself and others, on an educational tour uh, in about a month. Oh. And so um, just keep their wives and children. They have children. Do we know where they're from, Scott? Uh, I, 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 no, I, I don't know offhand. But um, um, just keep praying for them and their families. I mean, how tragic. You know, they, they've flown all the time. Mm-hmm. And then this time they don't come home to their families. Yeah, they said they had either hundreds or thousands mm-hmm. of hours. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, and then, you know, if, if preliminary reports that they said had some kind of massive mechanical failure or something, but they didn't put the helicopter down where it could have killed more people. Yes, they were very they, they, they steered it over to the highway and put it down on the highway, knowing that they were going to die, but to save other people's lives. The selflessness that our military has, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the sacrifice. So just keep them and their families in their prayers. It's been really hard on our office and, and my assistant, Jan, because, I mean, she talked to them almost on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And then to find us out. So just pray for their families and children. We can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and should do it. What else we got going on? Anything going on in, in Murray County on Friday nights? Friday, well, it's not first Friday. So it's not first Friday. It but, is not. But things first don't Friday. stop. Well, we're in, we're in tournament time, aren't we? Basketball tournament time. Basketball yeah. Tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Central got beat last. Yeah, night. the girl. Central is done in the yep. last seconds. Yep. Playing game Co- got beat by Summit. Yep. Uh, Columbia Academy is done. Also, they, they lost in the region. Um, I don't know about the other teams. Well, uh, Cully Oker played last <laughs> night in a play game. I don't think one or not. And uh, I know uh, Mount Pleasant's both teams are done. So we're, we're pretty much segue into baseball, Mary County. Yeah, right baseball. <laughs> baseball, <laughs> softball. Now that's Spring now. Hill basketball team, I think it's the boys are still going. And uh, that's about the only one I know of. Uh, speaking on so- girls' softball, big year at Columbia Academy, chance to four Pete. Good and, Lord. And they've got a team. They have a young girl over there. And. Uh, can't remember her name. Yeah, I'd get to, but she's real deal pitcher. Outstanding, 
the probably, oh, it's all about pitching in, in, and in there. She's probably she's probably one of the best pitchers in the state, if not the best. Well, and in softball, like... they can go all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, mm-hmm. I, it would not surprise me if we're seeing uh, Columbia Academy so- girls softball playing in, in the state title for another state championship. They've got it rolling over there at Columbia Academy in, in, in girls softball. Who's the coach? Uh, uh, Seth, Seth Anderson. Anderson. How long will Columbia Kennedy be able to keep a coach at four? Well, this feet? is the last year. He's this is his last year coaching girls softball. He's the head football coach too. Yeah. And so he told me at the gas station a few months ago that this will be his last year of softball. He's got to go segue to football full time. So this is his last year, and he can have four state championships, four rings in a row. Mm-hmm. In a row. That's unheard of. Yes. And remember. It could have been five because the COVID year cheated them out of one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. They could be going for five. True. So it's if you ever get a chance and and they're at home, walk over there, have a hot dog and a coke, and watch these girls play softball because it is impressive. It is. But what got me about it this year? That much success and and they don't get enough love. It's a Columbia Academy girls softball team, like no other girls softball team. But what they've done is. Spectacular, but I was told a couple of weeks ago they're not going to have a junior high team. They had to cancel the girls' junior high softball team that had enough kids to play. Go figure that. Well, the children have too many things to lure them away. Yes, they do. From athletics, there are just too many other things that seem more promising, mm-hmm. and they're missing the opportunities of a lifetime just because they'd rather. We had play to do, with the computer. We, we had to do the same thing with our JV football schedule this year. We didn't have enough players. Wow! Yeah. Really, JV football schedule. That's just a shame. Really, yep. That's so, all right, uh, Coach. When when does Whitthorn's uh, spring practice crank up? Uh, April or March? Well, actually, to me, it cranks up January second and ends <laughs> uh, the week before July fourth. <laughs> yeah, but we do conditioning all winter long. You know, that's something I picked up doing. I thought that the kids needed something to do every evening, so we do with spring. great success too. Yeah, we we have good numbers out there, but we do spring around April the fifteenth, right at the right at the end of the school year. So that way, baseball's done, soccer's done, so all the kids can get and participate in it. You know, some people does spring in February or, or March. Sometimes just get it over with, but. You know, I want the opportunity to have the baseball guys and soccer guys and any and track guys there. All right. All right, folks, we're going to take a break. We'll be coming back here in just a few minutes. I want to remind everybody that it's President's Day, so I cannot imagine what the history topic might be. So we'll be right back with Inside Middle Tennessee. People often ask about the initials after mine and Monty's names. Those initials are CFP, Certified Financial Planner. As a CFP, we will do our best to help you in the attainment of your financial goals while protecting those assets with proper insurance coverage. We encourage the team approach of holistic financial planning by working alongside your CPA and attorney. This is Gay Pike with Caledonian Financial in historic downtown Columbia. Let's make a plan. Securities and investment advisory services offered through NBC Securities Incorporated. Member FINRA and SIPC. This is Jumpin' Joe Wiley, and you're listening to 101.7 WKOM Columbia. Three, two, one. 
Hi, I'm Robert Rogers at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. And I'm Michael Parks Lawrence at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. Together, we're Mr. Bobby Parks' grandsons, and we run his dealership, and we are glad to be part of our local community. Being family-owned and operated, we invest heavily in our community. We do things like sports teams, schools, bands, you name it. We try to help everybody we can. The reason why we do this is because we all love this community. So come do business with us, your neighbors, at Parks Motor Sales in Columbia, Tennessee, right off Nashville Highway, or at ParksMotorSales.com. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole bar. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. Are you new to Murray County? We want to welcome you and your family. We are a local residential garbage service, and we want to be your garbage man. We've been around for over 30 years, so we have a reputation. Check us out at garbagemaninc.com or call Mike at 931-540-0919. You could also ask your neighbor. 931-540-0919. Hello, this is Rick Tillis with Tillis Jewelry in Columbia and Lewisburg, Tennessee. What are you looking for in a jeweler? Knowledgeable staff? Experienced goldsmiths? Or true custom designers? Experienced working with clients creating that perfect gift for a special loved one? Well, you have found them. Tillis Jewelry. We are this and so much more. Check us out at TillisJewelry.com or on Facebook and Instagram to see our latest creations. Tillis Jewelry, Columbia and Lewisburg, Tennessee. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Hello, this is John McEwen with McEwen Group Real Estate, located at 17A Public Square in beautiful downtown Columbia. Our family has over 40 years' experience selling farms, residential, recreational, and all types of real estate here in Middle Tennessee. Check us out online at McEwenGroup.com or on Facebook and Instagram at McEwen Group, or give me a call today at 931-628-1749. McEwen Group, land is your legacy. This is Sarah Elizabeth, and you're listening to Inside Middle Tennessee on Front Porch Radio on 101.7 WKOM. And we're back with Inside Middle <coughs> Tennessee. You know, it's fun. The off-air off, uh, conversations that we have. <laughs> we're can, like a bunch of squirrels. It's like... Zip, 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 zip. Hey, did you know this? Hey, did you know that? The, you know, it can get a little bit spirited. It can. Around here. It does. So. I love it. I love it. <laughs> What do you got, Sarah? So I can't imagine. I can't imagine. So Monday is President's Day, um, and I thought that um, I could give a little bit background on President's Day and a little bit background on uh, some presidents. So I'm going to go and ask y'all your favorite president and why. Well, I mean, I you know, I think we 
there's we have, we have had a lot of great presidents. Yes. Historically, we we really have. I think I'm going to stick with what I know, meaning that somebody that was around since that I can remember, and when I was around, and I would say Reagan. Oh. And the reason I would say Reagan is that I think Reagan, uh, like him or not, was a very good leader. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he kind of gave a lot of people a lot of hope and brought a lot of uh, brought us out of some doldrums that we had been in oh, from, yes. on, on the national. He did that. He did on the national and, and kind of. Uh, I think he raised the level of America's um, how they felt about themselves mm-hmm. overall. So. You know, uh, he wasn't the greatest. He wasn't the greatest intellectual in the world, but he was smart enough to surround himself with extremely smart people. Well, yes, and you know that's uh, in Back to the Future and 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 everything. They're like an actor as a president. You know, and my great grandmother would say oh, that. Oh, my grandmother said he's. Just, she'd lived in California at one time. She'd say. You know, that Reagan is just an actor. I'd say, but Granny, he's the president. Look what a good job he's doing. Yes, but he's just an actor. You know, the thing about, uh, I think here, and I'm just commenting on presidents, and Scott will probably chime in on here. It seems to me like some of the best and some of the worst have come uh, from being governors. Yes. Yes. As opposed to senators and something else. Yes. You know, uh, so anyway. All right. Why don't you get on around? around? Oh, yeah, T. Willie. Well, I was going to say Harrison Ford, but that was just a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Shoving that guy off the plane was amazing. Was <laughs> there you go. Actually, someone who, uh, who, was, uh, who died in office when I was a young man, I remember very well, was John F. Kennedy. Uh, I, I don't think we ever got his full potential, unfortunately, yes. because of what yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he's the one I think of when I really think of a president, presidential president, I guess. Yes. Yes, the very mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's it, Coach. Well, <laughs> I spent the six years in the military, and yes. I was I was under a Democrat while I was in there, and I was under a Republican while I was in there, uh-huh. and consensus that we couldn't tell who <laughs> was president. Really, to be honest with you, yes. we go did a job every day, but you know, we t- we took a lot of grief on Ronald Reagan, mm-hmm. whether we be in Europe, whether it be in Korea, whether we be in England. That always says, your country's messed up because y'all have a uh, movie star for president. And I said, well, y'all messed up because you got a queen running your country. So, <laughs> so <laughs> But, you know, I guess when it goes down to it, uh, my, my president that I've made the most money as a citizen of the United States, Ronald Reagan was kind of one of my favorites, but the one that I made the most money was Bill Clinton. Oh, when yeah. Bill Clinton was his eight-year run, I keep up with my yearly income, and my income in some of them years was unbelievable good. Mm-hmm. And but I go down as uh, Ronald Reagan, the the Republican president. I really enjoyed being in the military was in there, but the most money I ever made was with Bill Clinton. Yeah, the Bill Clinton. Yeah. Well, well, I'll sit here and put on my investment advisor hat. <laughs> Yes, yes. And tell you that during Bill Clinton's term in office, we had a nine-year bull run in the stock market. Mm -hmm. A whole lot of people made a whole lot lot of money. money. Yep, they did. What about you, Scott? Uh, Lincoln. Lincoln. Um, Tackling the whole slavery issue. Had a bit awful. Keeping keeping the republic together and then coming out of the republic and still trying to heal Mm -hmm. the nation. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you see the pictures of Lincoln and his... um, 
stoic face. Yes. Right? Yes. Of just grit. Kind of embattles what an American is of we know there's a tough job to do. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep our chin up and strong, and we're going to push through and do what's right. And um, I think that was a turning point in our country that could have divided our country permanently. Yes. Permanently. And, and came real close to doing it. Came it real close to doing it. And, and his, <laughs> his, you know, um, his stick to itness, I guess, is the word I'm looking, looking for. But just being able to, to stay on course and stay focused on mm-hmm. what the mission is of to keep this country united and keep moving it forward and righting a wrong. Mm-hmm. And writing a wrong. So that's why. Lincoln. What about you? Well, I, I will have to say John F. Kennedy, and there are several reasons that he's my favorite. Not so much about what he did, but I actually got to see him. He came to Nashville and spoke at Vanderbilt, and the Central High School Band got to play for him. Wow. And and you, the, I was in the eighth grade when he was elected, and, and Truman was president when we were born, and then the only other president we knew about was Eisenhower, and we were too young to understand about World War Two. So all we knew about Eisenhower was he played golf, and so, <laughs> and so when, when John F. Kennedy, with Bob Hope, by the way, it, when John F. Kennedy ran, suddenly there was a person we could see, a young person, a vibrant person, and uh, the the whole idea of the youthfulness, I think, and and uh, my generation, I think, identified strongly with him, and uh, his potential, of course, was as T. Willie said, how how different we could say that about Lincoln, how different Reconstruction yeah. would have been for the South had Lincoln not been assassinated, how different the Civil Rights Movement might have been if Kennedy had not been assassinated. We lost two great people there who could have mm-hmm. made our world mm-hmm. a great deal better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, my favorite is George Washington. Imagine that. <laughs> well, and, and I he, mean, and he, if you if you think about what all he did, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he did a lot. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about him. Um, and so um, he handed down a legacy of strength, integrity, and national purpose. He established what the presidency should be, in my opinion. Um, he established two terms as being two the, terms. It wasn't uh, the law, which is why FDR kind of yeah. went over it, but it was uh, it was the tradition. Yes. But he, you know, he did not really want to be president at first. He denied them. He balked at first um, whether he wanted to mm-hmm. be president or not. And but then, um, but then he did. Um, he was smart enough to realize that America needed a president, not a not king. A king. Yes. I think yes. that he was offered the kingship. Yes. Yeah, I think he so, was too. But um but he like so he uh the first president election was held on January the 7th, 1789 and Washington won. He came he he was coming off the revolution. He was very popular during the revolution because he was the commander of the Continental Army. Um, and he was very pivotal um, at the Battle of Yorktown. Um, and, you know, they captured Cornwallis at Yorktown, and so that ended the war, um, and that sort of made him a national hero, kind of like Andrew Jackson in the well, Battle of New Orleans. Yeah, there's so, several people who became... So, Eisenhower became president because of his of the war. war. Yeah. yeah. So John Adams, uh, another... Uh, he received the second largest number of votes, and he he became the first nation's first uh, vice president. 
Um, Washington was 57 years old when he was inaugurated in 1789. And he was inaugurated in New York City because D.C. was not yet built. Um, And while in office, he did sign the bill establishing a future permanent capital along the Potomac River. Um, So, and it's a federal territory. Washington D.C. is, um, but it it's called the territory of it was called the territory of Columbia, the city of Washington. Hmm. So, um, and it has two ports, Georgetown and Alexandria. If it's territory of Columbia, let's go up there and get it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I when I was doing the research last night, I'm like, I remember that, but I did not. You know, so. But you, the U.S. was a small nation when Washington took office. It had 11 states and approximately 14 million people. Um, and that there were, many then? Huh? We had that many then? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So, and there was no precedent for how the president should conduct domestic and foreign business, but he was mindful that his actions would likely determine how future presidents were uh, expected to govern. He worked hard to set an example. Um, of fairness, prudence, and integrity. Um, he uh, nominated the first Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, which was John Jay. Um, he signed bills at- establishing the first national bank, the Bank of the U.S., and he set up his own presidential cabinet. And his <coughs> Secretary of State was Thomas Jefferson. That's another one of my mm-hmm. favorite presidents that I have studied. Um, and then the Secretary of the Treasury was Alexander Hamilton. So and they they did not. No, get you're along. supposed to, you're supposed to say it like they do on the show. <laughs> Alexander, Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah, <laughs> don't I, I can do that ribbon. whole musical score? That would be very bad on the radio. Uh, but uh, anyway, Jefferson and Hamilton did not get along. But um, he, he he was the first president. So there and was Jefferson a, and Adams didn't get along. No. No, well, they, they didn't. They no. had entirely different views yeah. on what the federal government should they be. They did. So, but he he did the copyright law, so protecting copyrights of authors. Um, he also signed the first Thanksgiving proclamation, <laughs> making November twenty sixth a national holiday. So he established the first national holiday. Boy, and that was nice, wasn't it? That was nice. <laughs> we have it every year. <laughs> Um, he also passed the first federal revenue law on distilled spirits. I looked that up for you, Jim. I thought that was pretty cool. I can tell you a little more something about that. Yeah. So that was 1794 and farmers in Western Pennsylvania rebelled over the so-called whiskey Whiskey rebellion. Yes. And it's called the whiskey rebellion. And there were 12,000 militiamen sent to Pennsylvania to dissolve the rebellion. Did you know that Washington himself became a distiller? Oh, yes. 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 And not only did he become a, still, a distiller, but at one time he had the largest distillery in the United States. He did. He did. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. That That's a house. A mom and I went to Mount Vernon uh, years ago when I was in graduate school. Um, we took a boat from D.C., And I want you to know, after all these years of seeing Mount Vernon's picture, I had this big idea that it was some kind of masonry. It was some kind of blocks or some kind of stones. It was brick, wasn't it? No, indeedy. It is wood that they have marked off to appear as if they're joints in the mortar. And then they throw sand up there in the paint. Uh-huh. To make it look like masonry, I was just aghast. Hmm. I, well, George Washington lived in a plain old wooden house with sand on <laughs> it. I was so disappointed. Yeah, I didn't she, know what that was to a do. big 
big thing for her <laughs> when we went to D.C. <laughs> but anyway, at Mount Vernon, he had uh, t- he went from 2,000 acres into 8,000-acre property with five farms. And you can still visit Mount Vernon today. He grew a variety of crops, including wheat, corn, and he bred mules. He was uh, he had he was the first one to have mules in the United States. They still have mules on yes, the property, they at and Mount they Burn. were they were a gift from the King of Spain. Yes. Well, so. now here's a question for you: If they still have mules on the property, where are they getting them? I, that's a good question. That's a good question. By golly, they need to be down here. All yes. All we didn't April need, we could have asked somebody. I could we have asked somebody, that. but we, we did were not. Just, we made their picture. But, yeah, I did. <laughs> but anyway, so, but it's a really cool place if you go. But he was also, uh, he experimented with new crops, and he also uh, dabbled in about land conservation. Because hmm. even then, they were worried about land conservation. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, back to him. In his second term, um, he proclaimed uh, neutrality to avoid getting into the 1793 war between Great Britain and France. Um, also, he ratified the Bill of Rights. Five states entered the Union while he was president, and Tennessee was one of them in 1796. In fact, we're the last one. We're the last one George Washington signed into statehood. So, um, he also tried in 1799, uh, 95, um, the Jay Treaty to avoid war with Great Britain, um, and then some other, uh, some other treaties as well. But, uh, after two terms, uh, declined to serve a third term, he retired to Mount Vernon and his farewell address, uh, he urged the new nation to maintain the highest standards domestically and to keep involvement with foreign powers to a minimum. And that, his farewell address, is still read each February in the Senate to commemorate his birthday. Oh, it is very good. It used to be, I guess it may still be, in the American Literature book, his farewell address. And one of the things he says in there was, beware of political parties. Yeah. That, that's yeah. one of the main points. One of the that. main points. But Well, you know, Reagan's, what Reagan said were the nine most dangerous words uh, in, in the country. He said, I'm from the government. I'm, I'm here, here to help, to help you. <laughs> <laughs> but on Monday, we do celebrate President's Day, um, and it, it was established with the 1971 Uniform Monday Holiday Act. So it was an attempt to create a more, three, more three-day weekends for the nation's workers. So, you know, you brought up somebody a little bit earlier and and even though uh, he was not he was president for a couple of terms, what he did even before being president was enormous uh, on the country's uh, history was Jefferson. I mean, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jefferson wrote just about every document we've got. He did. He one. I I have these uh, reading binges. One summer (laughs) I read everything I could find about Thomas Jefferson. And he, he he had to be one of the smartest people who ever lived. Oh no, there's no doubt. He there's was an inventor, he, Greek, he, Latin, yeah. scientist. Every, I mean, he go into his house too. Oh, um, that's just amazing. Monticello is just amazing. And I know there's a lot of controversy and underlying stories about them and their the early presidents and owning slaves and, and that kind of stuff. But George Washington, and I read this in a book about him, um, as he aged, he he saw the evils of slavery. So, um, 
And I, oh, yeah, Jefferson wanted to give away his own. Yeah, I think. yeah. So, yeah. And so did Jefferson. One thing we need to get done, and it's just been a great topic about President Day coming up, but Scott, you on the Hill, and you do a wonderful job. Do you think that in our lifetime we'll ever see a four-day work week? Uh, four tens, forty hours. Yes, yeah, it's coming. I think it is. I too. think I think it's, it's coming. coming more so than it ever has before. I'm sitting here to tell you, my, that's what my daughter works for the Portland Police Department for ten hour shifts. Yeah, you yeah, know. it's coming. Just yeah. like that, what that would do the high school football. Yeah, yeah, and how it would help There's the an whole ounce. business of people commuting, of the use of energy. Yeah, just think how pollution that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, yeah. But it, it, yeah. That's been on my mind, Scott. I, I, I read about they experimented with it in Europe right now, mm-hmm. and it's been a big success. And uh, I think you get so much more work production if we did that. Mm-hmm. Well, I will tell you what's been that shift days of burnout day. We're up against the break, but I'll sit here and tell you real quick what I think is really surprising is during COVID, and we had so many people working for, from, from home, I think the productivity of people working from home was, was real surprising to a lot of people that can keep up things. Folks, we're up against a break. We need to take one, but this is just typical of what goes yeah. on around here. <laughs> but we did not get sidetracked this morning, so we, we didn't oh, get on that. Oh, so. <laughs> just wait. Just wait. Just <laughs> wait. We'll be, we'll be right back with Inside Middle Tennessee. Every morning, I park my car across the street from my business, and I can't wait to get in there. That's pretty common for small business owners. We have the added satisfaction, however, of guiding hundreds of families with their retirement, education, savings, and general investments. We're a locally owned business that tries very hard to simplify a complicated world. This is Monty Sneed from Caledonian Financial in Historic downtown columbia securities and investment advisory services offered through nbc securities incorporated member finra and sipc here we go at columbia chrysler dodge jeep ram fiat you can always count on us for a great selection of late model low mileage one owner vehicles all have been thoroughly inspected and are ready to go you can even save time and buy online with our online shopping tool looking to sell your vehicle great news we're paying top dollar for your trade all makes all models and in any condition trade in and trade up today at columbia chrysler dodge jeep ram fiat you can count on us Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. 
Hey, this is Derek Ransom with Ten Pin Alley, voted number one family entertainment center in Murray County. We offer 32 bowling lanes, giant arcade, laser tag, bumper cars, and a full cafe and bar menu. We also specialize in group events, kids and adult birthday parties, company parties, sports team parties, and holiday parties. We're located at 322 East James Campbell Boulevard in Columbia. Call us today at 931-381-BOWL or visit us at 10pin.com. Ten Pin Alley, it's where the good times roll. This is Elk Kennedy. The old saying is, happy wife, happy life couldn't be more true. Many years ago, my wife, Mary Susan, had major surgery on her back but continued with chronic pain. Doctors were saying invalid, disabled. But then she found the Dr. Gill Center for Back, Neck, and Chronic Pain in Franklin, Tennessee. It has changed our lives. We visited there recently with Dr. Wendy Tui, saw the state-of-the-art facilities. Folks, don't take a pill. Call Dr. Gill. Go to callmepainfree.com. You're listening to the best in news, talk, sports, and music on WKOM 101.7 FM in Columbia, Tennessee. This is Jim Ross, and you are listening to Front Porch Radio, WKOM 101.7, located in Columbia, Tennessee. And we're back with Inside Middle Tennessee with more good off-air conversation. Yes, yes. (laughs) That's probably the part that ought to be recorded for posterity. (laughs) Probably the part that we're broadcasting won't mount to much in a hundred years, but all these insightful comments that we have, they might be very valuable a hundred years. Scott, in all his wisdom, just sits here and shakes his head at all of us. And he's right, as he should. So he he does a good Mm -hmm. job with yeah. <laughs> it's all, now, you know, I know there's just, there's nothing going on at the state level right now <laughs> at all. I know it's going to be a real short report. You don't have anything to talk about. So, uh, what do you, do you need got, an hour, Scott? Scott? <laughs> Before he starts, Scott, do y'all work four days a week? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Uh, I spoke, uh, well, uh, I don't know. How, I, okay, so Thursdays. Normally are not my busy day. Thursdays now are very busy days. Uh, we have session in the morning. I have meetings after session until 1230. From 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock, I'm on the air at 99.7 doing a, a legislative update with Matt Murphy. And then yesterday I had to be in Williamson County at the uh, Embassy Suites to speak to the school board association. Mm-hmm. That went from 2.30 to 4.30. And then from 5.30 to 7.30 last night, I was speaking to the Williamson County Republican Party about education. All right, Scott, tell everybody next Friday where you're going to be. State Eggs and Issues, I think it starts at 6.45 is what they said. 6.45 is when the doors open, Mm -hmm. and then uh, we'll start at 7 o'clock. Senator Hensley, myself, and Representative Calpy will be there. Tell everybody where? uh, At the Memorial Building. Um, It does cost to get in, but they do provide lunch or breakfast for you. (laughs) Breakfast Rotary Breakfast Club. Breakfast Rotary Club. But it is, uh, it's, it's informal. We try to, uh, uh, we get some general questions, kind of know what they're going to be. It's kind of the, the standard ones. Uh, and then we'll take a couple questions from the audience, but basically trying to tell everybody what we're doing in Nashville this year, what things to look forward to, and then talk about the state of state to everybody. Just give everybody a general update. Uh, I wouldn't, uh, I'm not going to put uh, Representative Capley on the spot too much because he's, he's just trying to get his, his feet on the ground up there. But uh, he's, do, he's doing a good job. It's just, it takes time. Yeah. It just takes time. So, uh, yes, there is a lot of, lot going on. Uh, I have a first bill on the House floor. My first one of this year will be on the House floor on Thursday, House Bill 29. What it does is it allows remedial coursework to be given by our four-year colleges and, and institutions. Currently, Tennessee law prohibits that. 
with the COVID kids we got graduating right now, it's all hands on deck at higher ed to make sure that we have all access points for these kids to gain remedial coursework if they need it. Because if a kid wants to go to UT Martin or UT Knoxville, under current law, if they need remedial coursework, they have to go to a community college yeah. first. Have you had some four-year institutions request this? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so uh, they understand the problems they're having. And if a kid wants to go to UT Knoxville and they're willing to pay for UT Knoxville, let them take the remedial coursework. And basically what it is is they'll give them a 100-level course and then assign them a lab. And the lab is the tutor that helps them get caught up to speed so they can take the 100-level course, which applies for one of their requirements for graduation, and still get to attend the college of their choice. That's the first bill on the house So they will get college credit for that. That wasn't always so. No, No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't when I was in school. So uh, that's the first bill on the house floor. House Bill 340 is a dual enrollment bill I got that's in committee next week. What it does is it expands the options for dual enrollment. Currently in high school, for, for career technical, sophomores, juniors, and seniors can take advantage of dual enrollment, but not at community colleges, only juniors and seniors. Oh. So we're going to change the law to say sophomores, juniors, and seniors across the board can do uh, dual enrollment in either community colleges or oh. career technical schools. Very simple change, but it's something we need to do. That sounds reasonable. Sounds like a little cleanup work. It is. Uh, And then the pilot program I've got working with Columbia State right now in the line worker program, Mm -hmm. that program is is going to be in the full committee uh, next week, I think. Yeah, next week. Um, And what that does is it allows our our community colleges to offer short-term credentials and industry certifications like the line worker program we have out here at Columbia State, CDL, truck drivers, heavy equipment operators, health sciences. So these kids can get these short-term credentials and be able to go back to school. But what the bill does is it creates a two-year pilot program for grants. So like scholarships for these kids so they can pay for these things. It's a great return on investment for the people of Tennessee. We're going to invest roughly $4,000 in a line worker program enrollee, and they're going to come out making $71,000 a year. Job security, Sarah. Uh, Well, my husband's a lineman. He does have job security. You you look at the shortage of CDL drivers right now. (laughs) It costs about $3,500 to get a CDL license going through training. We're going to create scholarships for these kids who want to do this so that they can gain access to these these high-paying careers and not have to go to four years of college or two years of community college. They can go in. They can get their certificate and and get out and start making money. So, and then on the back end, it benefits us all because now they have a career that's transferable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of controversy this year uh, so far. Um, the, <laughs> no. The, the, uh, the, I'm Never. Gonna, the two drag show bills. Oh, uh, my will, goodness. The two drag show bills will be on the House floor Thursday. <laughs> so it'll be crazy up there in the morning. And then um, the bill to ban the uh, uh, gender reaffirming surgeries for, like Vanderbilt was doing, that'll be on the House floor Thursday also. Those bills will go in and be signed by the governor and become law very quickly. Uh, the bill to amend the abortion bill did clear its subcommittee. Uh, it'll head to the full committee this week. Um, it's going to start to face a headwind. I'm, t- I'm going to tell you, it's going to start to face a headwind, and uh, we'll see what happens with that bill. I would be shocked if it makes it to the House floor. Well, okay. I'd be shocked. Really? Should be shocked. Okay. Um, and then in education, um, we are continuing on with our uh, our hearings. Uh, we had more hearings this week. We heard from Excel Ed gave us a great report on on the on retention in other states who have identical test retention bills like we have in Tennessee, and uh, some of them have had these test retention bills in progress for like six seven years, and they're seeing 
three years after the child's been retained, they have gotten them on grade level and now are able to keep them on grade level. So they're seeing some, some, some good results there. Um, and then we have hearings on the 22nd in committee in the education committee. We have a big hearing on retention and why are 66% of our kids having to be retained? We're trying to get to the bottom of what's the problem. Is it standards? Is it grade level inappropriateness? Is it is it too much, too little? What is it? All Chime of the in. above. There we go. And so we're going to try to get to the bottom of this because we've got to fix education. And we've got to fix K through 3. It doesn't matter what we do in 4 through 12. If you don't get K through 3 right, we're struggling after that. Yeah, and, and, that, and mm-hmm. children just get lost. And well, then, you're completely behind the eight ball at that point. Right, mm-hmm. and so, and, and teachers tell me, <coughs> excuse me, I'm losing my voice already. It's been a long week. Teachers tell me all the time, you know, third grade, or middle school teachers tell me, look, it's not my fault. They're showing up from elementary two and three grade levels behind. High school says, hey, it's not my fault. They're showing up from middle school two and three grade <laughs> levels behind. Everything points back, and everything we're talking to teachers about in these hearings and everything we're hearing about is pointing to kindergarten. You can't let them out of kindergarten until they're ready to go to first grade. you got to hold them. And if you're going to hold them a year, hold them in kindergarten. Yes. Don't let them out. And so we've got a bill that I'm working on right now to give the, the local school systems the ability to give some type of local assessment on a kindergartner that they have to show proficiency of what they were supposed to learn so they can go to first grade and be successful unless you turn seven years old. Well, then you're aging out of kindergarten. But the statistics show a more older, more cognitively developed, more more emotionally stable student can handle the workload in first grade. So working on that. And then Speaker Sexton dropped the, the nuclear option. Uh, and, and it's going to be a bill we're going to run this year to go ahead and, and uh, start the process to stop taking the federal money in education. Su- supplant that with state money. So all our districts are made whole. Nobody's going to be short any money. And that money, that $1.8 billion that the feds are giving, instead of that being on, a, like in Murray County, a 70-30 split, yeah. it'll be 100% from the state. So there's no, no more cost to the locals for us to say, we're going to do education the way we believe should be done in, in Tennessee for our students. Have, have other states done that? One other state's tried it in Utah, but their population is so small, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, we have the money to do this. Uh, next year, when the bill will probably be voted on to be approved to start the process, we're running about a $5 billion surplus every year, and it's $1.8 billion. So we could pick up the tab. We can pick up the tab. And here's what's interesting is, if we can do this, then all the things that the teachers have to do on data collection, on things you have to, how to address kids, right? You might want to preface that by saying the federal requirements, the federal requirements that, that the federal they have to do. That's right. I'm sorry. Federal requirements. The curriculums that get pushed down to us, the mandates that get pushed down to us because we take the money, all that can go away. And so now our teachers can sit there and just teach what the standards are. And we, we still got to look at the standards and how many we have and are they appropriate. But we can get to a position that we can make education in Tennessee what it used to be when Miss Hickman was young. Oh, those teaching. were the good old days. But Scott, can I ask the question? I know we yeah. five minutes so, but the surplus, we keep talking about the surplus is big, big, big. It's bigger than it's ever been. Uh, where does surplus come from? 
comes from people spending money in Tennessee. Oh, that's exactly right. And I knew that. I'm, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I knew that. <laughs> but what happens right. right now that, that we go out here and your, your mortgage is about, if it can go up today, matter of fact, at 8%, your, your car loan is at 7.5%, 8% now. What happens when we quit spending money on down the line? Can we call the federal government then and say, hey, we don't have that surplus more. Can you send us some more of that cash down here? What happens then? You, you can opt back into it if you, you want to. You can opt back in. Okay, I, I didn't know if the government said, no, nah, you're out to that. You're out. You're on your well, own. They, well, it can't. The Supreme Court made a ruling a, a while back that said the federal government, if they offer a program to all 50 states, mm-hmm. they can't deny it to one state for any reason. Oh, so if, if, if for some reason we got in financial trouble, right. we could go back. Okay. We could go that's, back. That's what was a big concern for me. Yeah, we could go back. So yeah, Y'all need to see this visual. I just love it when Coach gets his pen going. Oh, he's like writing <laughs> he over there. It, he like, gets that pen going, folks. He's writing just, it down. Yeah, buddy. I and, and this may be, <laughs> I don't know. So federal funds help pay for the free and reduced lunch mm-hmm. part so right. that the state could cover that as well 1. for those children yeah that's that's part of, that's part of the 1.8 billion okay all right i just wanted to mm-hmm. reiterate and, that. And so, so here's what's really interesting <clears throat> federal government the mandates from the federal government say this if i have a package a, a carton of milk right mm-hmm. and the, the school lunch the schools put out a carton of milk for the kids to consume that day and they don't do it because it's packaged they can put that back in the refrigerator for the next day Yes. Yeah. But if they make a big pot of mashed potatoes or corn or something <laughs> like that, or pizzas, right, and the kids don't eat them all, they have to throw them away. Yeah. Goes into the dumpster. They have to back. throw them yeah. away oh, because a, of the federal mandates, right? There's so much food waste. We couldn't even package that food up and give it to a kid to go home with who's not going to eat that night. Yeah. We couldn't take that food and package it and give it to a homeless shelter to feed people who need food. And there's lots of restaurants that do that right now. Yes, exactly. Well, they are a program right now, for example, that you can go apply for, especially a football coach. Go there and apply for this right here. And, and the football coach can go down that eating and then pick up the chocolate milk or the milk and snacks. And when they get down to the football locker room for the workouts, after workouts, we pull it out and let them get a chocolate milk and a snack. Chocolate milk. So they, you have to request it, but they are a little program for that right now. Well, so. that's good. So that, that's one of the things we're working on. Um, and what will probably happen is that when that bill passes, you're going to have to have a, a logical uh, progression of how to withdraw so it's seamless. Yes. And then we'll probably put together a committee and try to work on a plan to see how would we do it and how long it would take. Oklahoma's trying to do it in a decade, and that's just too long. Um, if we're going to do this and, and we have the money to do it, we probably need to do it in about a year or two. Those sayings, fish are cut bait. Right. And and therefore, the quicker we can do this, then the more flexibility we can gain in, in education. Yes. <clears throat> and go back to the way when Ms. Hickman taught, it was when probably when the Department of Education probably really wasn't around.